Police! He's 10-7, call it in. Ain't enough y'all that violated this Sunday morning truce. No. I'm standing here holding a torn up church crown of a bona fide color lady. Do you know what a color lady is? Not your mom's for sure. Cause if they was that, y'all would have known better than that bullshit. Y'all trifling with Avon Boxdale reputation here. You know that? So, uh, Van, I decided to look at these last few episodes as we start really winding down um, season three. Uh, we're now on episode nine, Slapstick. I started to look at, from this episode on, really, really the last episode, but um, I'll just say this one for the purposes of this conversation, as what if The Wire were not returning for season four? Because that mm. is the way David Simon was looking at this. Like, this was supposed to be the end of this entire series. And so when you look at it that way and look at this as if this was the final season of The Wire, right. the shit hits a lot differently. It does. Yeah, yeah it, it's it hits very a lot true. differently. And you see the conflicts, I think, much differently than you do knowing there's a four and five that's coming. Right? And so... Right. Um, I just see like a series of all these things coming to a head of a lot of unfixable problems and a lot of characters being kind of punished or caught between a couple different worlds and how that's just such an uncomfortable, uncomfortable experience. Um, what were some of your takeaways from from Slapstick? No, to your point, though, it seems like in these episodes, they're easing characters into their finality. They're starting to underthink, understand things about things about themselves and accept things about themselves that you kind of accept at the end. And so, like, when you kind of look at it through that lens, that's an incredible observation. You start to kind of see things in a different way. Um, mine, I guess, my takeaway kind of leans into that. Uh, I had true lies underlined. And the reason why I did, number one, I love that movie, James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger, classic. You want to talk about something that didn't age well, but it's still a good watch, but yet incredibly racist? It's true lies. True lies. Absolutely. It's like mad For racist, sure. but it's like fun. It's mad racist. It was a whole era, by the way, true lies, the siege, where. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, like, yeah, right. But right. like the, the, Super. the Islamophobia was like high. Ratchet it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when I look at when I when I look at it, I I, I look at uh Prez. Cause so if you take the Prez shooting, the why the, the reason why I have true lies is because the Prez shooting is interesting because you get a sense of his reputation in the department um when everybody's talking about him. He he Everything that they're saying is true, but it's a lie at the same time. They're not saying anything about Prez that isn't accurate. It's all accurate, but at the same time, it's not accurate of who he is in that moment. He's become much, much more than that. He's become more than the fuck up who shot up his car, than any of the other stuff like that. He is now a living, breathing asset to the police department and they're too out of step to even know it. They don't even, they're not in tune enough to know it. So what they're saying is true, but it's a lie at the same time. And you start seeing that, you see that with McNulty. I love that scene with McNulty. Uh, even like, you know, Cuddy trying to get his boxing situation together, right? He is living in his truth more than he ever has. But the world that he's trying to navigate, he has no idea how to do it, Right. He has no idea. He's a total fish out of water. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He feels like a fraud in the new world where he's living his truth more than he ever has. So what you see is a lot of characters in this episode. And of course, Stringer and Avon, both of them are right and both of them are wrong at the same time. You see those crises of what's, what's seemingly real and what's actually real starting to come to a head as everyone's decisions about themselves and their view of themselves are starting to weigh on the people around them. Well, that's how I th thought it was interesting that you, uh, you, you know, you look up and you see these guys 
part of what's leaving, leading to that these all these tension points is that they're caught between trying to escape the world that they're in and advance to a new world that doesn't quite accept them either. You know, Stringer is trying to make his way as a legitimate businessman and he cannot escape the problems that come along with also being a drug kingpin. Avon is trying to return to the old world of where the the old order of doing business, which is, you know, owning all the territory, getting the best package, and then that's it. And he can't do that because somebody else has taken over that world and he knows he's not a businessman. So he knows where he doesn't belong. Even McNulty, um, because one of my favorite scenes, and, and we'll get deeper into it in a moment, is when he goes on the date with Terry Agostino, is that he realizes that in his world, he may be the smartest dude, but in her world, he's literally one of the dumbest people she's ever met. He's a D2 player. Yeah. I mean, I don't and, even think he was D2 in that moment. He was like a fucking walk-on on a D3 team. Like, he was right. just... <laughs> He realized that there's a world where he himself is also a D2 player. And not only that, he's something that in that scene, and we'll talk about it, he's something that he has never in any other scene in Wire history. He's unattractive. Mm. Yes, McNul- exactly. McNulty and you're not talking in, about physically either. Like, you're just... Yeah, like, McNulty in that scene... It's the one, everyone in in The Wire wants to fuck McNulty except for Kima. It's like everybody, he gets all the ladies, right? He gets all the ladies. But in this situation, that date was supposed to be a preamble to to sex. And at the end of it, she didn't even want him. Right. Like he was actually repulsive, vile to her, his level of political apathy. And... like, the one thing that he prides himself on, his brain, is what turned her off. It's a very, very, like, true lies. Once again, McNulty is both the flyest dude in The Wire, but in that situation, he's also repugnant. Yeah, I, I have a... I could write an entire book or have a whole television series about men who have talked themselves out of out of some WAP. I could Right, have, right. I really right. could. Because that... that for that, I appreciate it. The writing in this uh, in this episode, like all of us women have been there where like literally you guys will go in with a 28-3 lead, lead, shout out to the Mm -hmm. Falcons, Mm -hmm. and will blow that bitch with literally something that you said during the course of the interaction. We'll be like, you know what? So this is not going to happen because he said X. And uh, uh, Chris Rock put me on that. Chris Rock, did you know that? <laughs> Chris Rock said something and as a kid. I never forget it. Chris Rock said a woman knows right away when she wants to fuck you. And what he said after that was he said, she she looks at you, goes, oh, I want to fuck him. I hope he don't say nothing stupid. And then in my mind, I remember as a kid, in my virgin mind going, hey, yo, talk less. Say less stupid say things. Say less. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Y'all would be y'all would have a Tony Gwynn type of batting percentage if you said less. Say less. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let's get to recapping some of the things that happened in this episode. So Stringer uh, pokes the bear of Omar, and the the whole putting a hit out on him on a on a Sunday on a church Sunday with his grandmother is arguably the funniest. I mean, not arguably; it's the funniest content in the show. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's pretty funny. Um, so, which is a grave mistake, and that stirs up a whole bunch of other things. Uh, the co-op is pressuring Stringer to get Avon to back off the war uh, with Marlowe because that's become a, a liability for them all. The biggest development that happens in, in this is, as you alluded to, Prez accidentally shooting another officer, a black officer, in a dark alley. So all those, uh, the, the, the continued narrative that Prez is great um, inside the building, he's great at a desk. Not so great when it comes to policing on the street. Uh, this is the, the the culmination of of that narrative. Just real, just 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 real quick, I have to point something out. Hmm. What were President McNulty doing before Press shot the guy? They were eating. They, they went to getting, get some food. They went to get some food. I'm sorry, guys. I don't it's know undefeated. This theory is undefeated. I, I, I don't know. To, I don't know what to tell you guys. They went it's to undefeated. Get, Somebody they, died. They went out to get some food and prayer shot someone. Don't get food. Anyway, starve. Starve yourself in a wire. Uh, also, also, McNulty saw his relationship end here Over in the food. wire. Over food. Over food. 
So just that's saying, like a, just saying. a ceremonial death, if right. you will. Uh, the walls are closing in on Amsterdam. Um, you know, Hurricane Carver, or Carver rather, uh, moves a dead body to preserve the the kingdom of Amsterdam. And Bunny pressures the dealers to come up with a perpetrator. So you can see this is the beginning of the end of Amsterdam, which was never going to be permanent that we knew that. But now you see all the things that are happening to unravel what, you know, Bunny thought was a pretty ingenious idea that has achieved the intended result. The problem is, again, much like that two worlds thing we were talking about, Bunny is trying to usher in a new way to police and the old world is not having it. So mm-hmm. here you have the sort of the, 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 the flames of that particular tension. Um, but we thought that we would take a deep dive in today's episode on Prez, who I know we've taken a deep dive on before. Um, I feel like it was back in season one that we might have done a, a deep dive on Prez. So it's been a while. And there's a lot of things that have happened with Prez where he's become, when you talk about transformational characters, if you think about who he was when he first walked into the detail versus who he became, it is clearly night and day. And it was uh, something that you pointed out, that particular scene, which I as well thought it was a great scene where you overhear Landsman talking shit about Prez after he shot this cop. And he's like relaying all the things that he fucked up and did. I mean, if you think about, if you just looked at Prez on paper, you understand why people have a certain, um, you know, stereotype of him. It, it, it's accurate. It's just not in context. You know, he shot up his own police car. Remember the first day he's in the detail, he sh- he his gun goes off and he shoots at the wall. Uh, he uh, literally put a kid's eye out on a suicide mission with Herc and Carver. I mean, he uh, punched his father-in-law, Valchek, you know, in, in the middle of the squad room. I mean, all he has done from a macro standpoint is fuck up. But what obviously is not in that same record about how he has helped them crack an entire drug organization because of his penchant for numbers and for detail and that he loves the minutia of this job. He actually found a place in the detail and was considered to be a terrific asset and one of the best kept secrets. I mean, Daniels loved the fact that everybody thought prayers was a fuck up because he knew he was sitting on a, on, on a diamond mm-hmm. uh, because he actually liked police work, which is different from policing, right? Mm-hmm. And right. unfortunately, his weakness is that for as 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 intelligent as he is when it comes to, um, you know, figuring out, you know, codes and, and uh, you know, the code that he broke when it came to the dock and with the bark sales and phones and technology, as great as he is at that, he does not have the instincts for street policing or being on the street. So, it was one of those things where, you know, in The Wire, uh, there's a lot of heartbreaking outcomes for people. And this is definitely in that bucket of those because, you know, I think Prez had like completely changed his reputation and generally was seen as a good guy. And then to go out the way that he did by uh, accidentally shooting another cop, it was kind of like, damn, can't we just have one that act right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Also, it it shows you... Prez's evolution and the fact that there had been no recognition of that evolution shows the dysfunction that exists inside the police department, right? Because the function of any good organization, be it sports or anywhere else, is not the talent that you can recognize. It's the talent that you can develop, right? So you you get someone, even if you're at a media company or even if you're, you know, if you're a sports team, whatever, you get someone and they're kind of rough, but they have a couple of things that they're good at. How much of an asset to your organization can you make that person by the time that you've developed them? If you, you know, can you turn somebody from Kawhi Leonard, the uh, athletic defensive player, to the two-way superstar? Uh, Can you coach up somebody and make them into somebody who can run something and have a real impact? And that's what Prez had done with Daniels and more to the point, Lester Freeman. So are you saying that Prez's NBA comparison is Manu Ginobili? <laughs> something like that. Oh, Ginobili was a killer. Killer in Europe. Um, something like that. I- I'd say it-, it-, it was close. But what I'm really trying to say is they had no idea what they lost. 
So looking at who Prez Belusky now is now, you know, he had found a spot. He wasn't ever supposed to be on the street. When Prez said, yo, I'm going to go get the food, everyone should have said no. You don't hit the street with your gun. You stay here. You never leave here. You live here. You sleep here. We'll get you a car service from here home <laughs> because you can't be trusted out there. You're too itchy. You're too whatever. Now, this case might have just been a case of a really bad shoot and just a bad luck, wrong place, wrong time. But it was definitely him. bad luck because they were just going on a food run. Right, and it right. just so happened there was a crime that happened in progress as they're on the food run. And, you know, maybe you could say McNulty should have told him to, like, you stay put. I'll go right. figure out what's going on. But it was it's just, it was it's unfortunate timing. Yeah, it went the way that it went. But, um, you know, to have that type of police officer show those type of skills and become that type of uh, uh, that type of asset to the force and have nobody know what was going on. It just shows you. And another scene in there. When you're talking about about Presbelewski and about how his his character, the evolution of his character, was indicative of the dysfunction in the police department, when Daniels comes in to uh, to check on the situation, all of the bosses are talking about the politics of the situation, and no one is talking about Presbelewski. Like Daniels is there to check on his guy; he's there to make sure he, he says, hey, "Look." Does he have a lawyer? Has he talked to a lawyer yet? Has anyone made sure that he's okay? Everyone else, Valchek is thinking about how it looks most directly for his family, right? Look out for him because he's a part of my family. Everybody else is thinking about the racial aspect of it, all of those things, what they have to do to put out any fires, any threats to their dysfunctional system. Only one guy is thinking about what would make that system stronger, which is the individual members of it and what it is that they're doing and how... Um, constructive there being two things. So that just shows you that in his evolution, he became a sort of indicator of what's wrong with that because he actually became, for all intents and purposes, a good cop. But no one even realized it. There was too much shit on him and too much shit on them for them to even realize that they had had not just a competent police officer form, but a talented police officer form, and that is the height of dysfunction. Given the seriousness of the incidents he was involved in, he never should have been a police officer, at least not Probably in the traditional not. way. Yeah, right. I mean, he he should have gotten, you know, fired a, a while ago, but good old police unions, you know how that goes. And when your father-in-law yeah. is, is is a captain, then, you know, you're, you're in a pretty sweet position. But I, I think what I always appreciated about Prez is that even though he was in this dangerous profession and somebody who carried a gun, there was a sweetness about Prez. A that childlike was, aura. Yes, it was. Like, like, think about how excited he would get over the smallest things. Like when he discovered the speed dial function on the cell phone and he's like losing his mind or the fact that he likes puzzles and games and likes putting things together. These are very childlike qualities. And so there was always an innocence to Prez, even though he is a, a cop that's involved in trying to solve these major criminal and, and drug operations. Is that, mm -hmm. And I think that lightness is what the rest of the detail appreciated about him, is that, yeah, you know, he's quirky. He's got idiosyncrasies. But for the first time in his policing career, he actually found a home where all of what be, would be considered negative traits and probably other departments in the police were traits that his peers appreciated in the detail. So they gave him a sense of belonging. And Prez had not had that before he was on this unit. Yeah, he's intellectually inquisitive, which in any place, anywhere, is all being intellectually inquisitive, to be honest with you, is almost the important characteristic that a human being can have. The want and the need and the fun and the passion for always wanting to learn more in a world where the more you know, the more well-rounded you're likely to be uh, is probably one of the most important things you can have. And it's something that, you know, which speaks to the fantastic writing of this show, that is going to serve Prez well because being intellectually inquisitive is not just important for learning, it's also important for 
spoiler alert, teaching is also <laughs> something that you need to have there because you need to be able to uh, obviously want to learn more for yourself, but you also want to need to uh, learn from your students as well to understand specifically what it is that they need because you have to be attentive to them. Now, something else I'll say about the entire situation with Prez is he said something specifically after the shooting that I think was really profound. He said, I wasn't scared. I wasn't angry. <laughs> I didn't give a shit he was black or whatever. Or maybe I did. How the fuck do you know if that's in your head or if it's not? And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> yeah, just take a moment and step away from it and, and, and come to terms with the fact that you don't know whether or not that was in your head. Is that something that Presbolewski would have been uh, able to do in season one? Would he, be, would, would he have been able to be that self-reflective? Because remember, by the way, he had hurt Black people before. He'd hurt that kid. He had done things before. So at this point, he's thinking to himself, yo, am I this? Like, and it almost lends itself into the reason why somebody might go into a situation where they're going to devote their lives to helping and, and, and forming young black minds, spoiler alert, for the rest of their lives. What would push, you always wonder when you see teachers, especially to be honest with you, white teachers, in those impossible situations in inner city schools, I always look at them. I used to have a teacher, I used to be like, yo, man, one day I'm going to come back here and buy you a boat. Because <laughs> you're doing all it is. You got to love this. You have to love this, right? there's you, no reason for you to even be there. There's no reason for you to even be there. There's no reason for you to care. Your kid's not going to be in these classes. You're not getting rich. You're, you got to be doing it for the love. And with Prez Belusky and where he's at and where he's been, we see sort of what pushes him into really caring about the root causes of some of the systemic dysfunction that he's witnessed, you know, while he was on the force. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely, this incident, and maybe, and not just incidents, but his time on the police force, period, completely influences where he goes from here. Because mm -hmm. I think there was a part of him that felt like, he needed to rectify in some way what he did to the young man who's who lost his eye. Sure. And beyond that, he was thinking like, okay, I'm imagining he's thinking, and okay, I can't, I can't help from this angle because I'm not equipped to to really do this job the way it's traditionally done. And I don't think he knows if there's a place for him. Like at some point, you know, he could they could try to shield him and protect him. Mm -hmm. All they want. And they did that fairly well until this incident. But at some point, he's got to be his his instincts as a police officer have got to come into play into the job. And if he doesn't really have those yeah. beyond just a computer is is there are situations and cases where he will be a liability. It's like if you have to work too much around somebody's liability, you then begin to question how helpful they actually are. But right. This, you know, I'm glad you brought up that part where he was just really being reflective about whether or not he was so quick to kill this 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 officer because of race, which does lead to the 10,000 viewpoint uh, viewpoint question, which I think they wrote it this way because they want us all to wrestle with it. Do you think Prez would have shot this cop if he were white? Probably not. Exactly, because that's the thing is that as much as I like Prez, as much as I don't think Prez was is a racist. Um, I, I mean, it's very clear one of the biggest influences on his life is Lester. Mm -hmm. Lester and Kima and, and being in the company of these terrific uh, black officers and Daniels. He has a lot of respect for them. He has no problem with black people necessarily. However, the truth of the matter is, if that was a white dude, he would have never shot him. Right. He would not have. Right. You know. If it's a white dude, I think a lot of things come into play. Number one, I think if it's a white dude, then, and this is, you know, an important distinction. If it's a white dude, the first thing your mind asks is, is that a criminal? Correct. Right. right. You probably would have thought he was a user, if anything, right. being in that neighborhood at that time of night in Baltimore. Right. It shows the specific danger of attaching criminality to one race. 
is as soon as you identify somebody as a criminal, your mind makes a snap judgment of less than. And then whatever happens after that sort of happens. And so he looks at it, he might have not been thinking, okay, I like like Lester Freeman said, number one male, he might have not been thinking that, right? If the guy's white, so he might not fire. And if the guy is white and his life has even a click, a tick more value, do you say, hey, 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 cops, stop what you're doing. But because the guy's black, he's a criminal, you're thinking, hey, my life is in danger. There's one of those guys, boom, boom, boom. Now you got a tragedy. Uh, and all of those things are things that, to be honest with you, you know, we're talking about, but I think fairly because Perez was asking those questions of himself. The fact that he was even ask, asking those questions of himself uh, demonstrates almost more than anything, like I said, how far that character has come. You know, it always is is difficult to look inward, and it's the last thing that anyone ever wants to do. You can look around at everyone else, um, and talk about how fucked up they are, but you really reach the moment of adulthood when you start looking in mirrors and asking yourself, wait a minute, how fucked up am I? And, and, and that's kind of when you start to find out how it is you're going to be the most useful um, and the most effective in this world. And this is a major, major, major point to him understanding that. It was also clear too, especially when he told Daniels that he was done. You know, Daniels, uh, to his credit, and why he is one of the best bosses on here, if not the the best boss, he was still not only, as you said, he was the only one who really cared about Prez's welfare. Two, he was still trying to figure out a way that he could still be of service. You know, that's why he was like, talk to a lawyer, go through this, because ultimately he doesn't want Prez to go down for this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're Prez, at some point, the the one common denominator in all these problems is you. Yeah. And at some point you have to really have the the introspection mm-hmm. and the self-awareness to realize that this may not be for you. And I'm sure that it was also for him very hard to accept because with all the success he had had in contributing to these cases. Because think about, take this all full circle. The whole reason the detail exists in season three is because of Prez. Prez mm-hmm. was the one who got the band back together right. by putting pressure on his father-in-law. So none of them would even be there if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure because of what he was contributing that he probably thought he was past being the reactionary hothead that would shoot up his car, shoot up, uh, shoot inside a building you know, hit somebody in the eye and take their eye out. Like, he probably thought he was past those incidents, that he was a different cop. And, you know, they always say uh, that, what you know, that's why, like, in sports, for example, it's hard to change certain habits. You know, like Tim Tebow, for I'm going to use him as an example. Um, the reason why he could not be long-term successful is that when plays broke down, when you know, things were out of his comfort zone. He resorted back to the same tactics. He resorted back to the bad mechanics. He re- And in some cases, he resorted back to the freelancing that made him uh, successful. Um, and so it's hard to get yourself in a moment of fire to do something different than what you've always done before because rote memory is your reactionary. And you mm-hmm. can't stop that sometimes because you you can't get away from what is your default. And so his default is to react first and think later. That's why he didn't even know if he had even identified himself as a police officer. He didn't even know if he did because his brain immediately went to what is his default, which is shoot first, hit first, ask questions later. Yeah. Last thing I'll say about it is just the importance of mentors. The importance of people that guide you, that that are there with a fine-tooth comb, right? The last thing Perez says, tell Lester I'm sorry. You always walk with your shoulders back a little bit more. You stand up a little bit straighter when there is somebody to disappoint. That's why all of that, the most destructive statement that anybody can can really make is fuck it. When someone says fuck it, man, fuck the world, fuck everything. When someone says that, you're dealing with somebody who will do anything. But when there is somebody to disappoint, when you've set a standard and that standard is not in 
you know, anything that comes from inward, but a standard of, of another person, when you're willing to let hold yourself accountable to someone, that's when you can be a real servant. You can be a real servant when somebody else's opinion matters. That's why interconnectivity is so important. That's why love is so important. That's why all of those things are so important because the most humbling thing that you can do is to give somebody else an opinion on your life. That's why, you know, we keep, we, for the rest of our life after we're gone, we search for our parents, right? We search for somebody who we care what they think about us. And Lester, is that for Prez. Like, he is the reason that Prez had actually started to evolve and develop because Lester saw into him and then Prez saw himself get better. So he trusted Lester because he realized that there was somebody around him that would actually push him to be something he didn't think. And that's what Valchek never was for him. Yeah, Val exactly. Val Valchek was somebody who excused him no matter what it was that he did. Because it was in Valchek's best interest, not for Press to get better, but for Press to do better, like do better in life, to get things that he didn't earn, while Lester right. made him earn everything. So the last thing he says is, you know, tell Lester I'm sorry. And that was a very, very profound moment because he actually felt it inside of himself that, um, you know, he had disappointed him. It's just weird that in the moment of the biggest tragedy of his life, in his least human moment, taking another life, he recognized and we recognize his humanity, which is the way the wire mind fucks you. It's just a brilliant show. And this was yeah. a well-acted, brilliant, completely amazing episode. Yeah, Jim Trufas was was really great um, in this in this episode and just playing this character uh, overall. All right, Ben, now on to some of the best scenes, of which there were plenty uh, what were some of the best scenes for you in Slapstick? Okay. Um, obviously, the the press shot, the press shoot. Yep. Once again, don't get food. I'm, by the way, in the next episode, it's another incident. Yes, yeah, another get, don't get food. <laughs> another, it's another don't get food. Whatever. Don't get food. Um, uh, Prez and Daniels, fantastic. Uh, Carcetti and Tony. Yeah. Where... Uh, you know, Tony is going on and on about, you know, Carcetti. It just shows you sometimes you just don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You just don't know what you're doing. Talking about come burn on my ticket, be for city council. The whole time he's looking at, he's like, dog, I'm going to be the mayor. Right. Up there looking <laughs> you just don't know it yet. <laughs> you just don't even know it. I'm going to be the mayor. Um, Omar's crew, when Omar kind of divvies things up and decides it is going to be him that is going to go after the Barstales by himself. Right. Which uh, is a, is a him, you know, he's still very much shaken by that conversation with Bunk. And I think after the conversation with Bunk, so many of his actions were as a result of that because Omar is still living with a lot of guilt about what happened to Tasha. And mm -hmm. so that's why he decides to go this alone because he doesn't want any more collateral damage, um, you know, that was caused by him and his vengeance to get at the Barksdales. Absolutely. He like he's seen enough of that. He doesn't want any more about that. Uh and then two McNulty scenes. Actually, I have three more scenes, a lot of good scenes here. Um McNulty and Teresa was a good scene, just seeing McNulty be that D2. We talked about that. But two scenes specifically I want to talk about. McNulty and Freeman is That's my a great favorite scene. scene of this episode. The job will not save you, Jimmy. It won't make you whole, it won't fill your ass up. I don't know. A good case. Ends. They all end. The handcuffs go click and it's over. And the next morning, it's just you in your room with yourself. Until the next case. Boy, you need something outside of this here. Like what? Dollhouse miniatures? Hey, hey, hey. A life. You get a difference in sort of the... Uh, motivations for those two characters. Freeman is dedicated to the job because he's actually dedicated to finding out who's behind crimes or so it would seem, right? He's dedicated, it would seem a little bit more to public safety. McNulty is completely self-centered in it and Freeman's telling him that's not going to be enough. 
at least two or three times a season, somebody shows a mirror to McNulty. Oh, Jimmy, you burn everybody up. Oh, Jimmy, you're this. Jimmy, you're no good for people. Jimmy, all oh, you, you're bullshit. That happens. But this is the crowning one of telling McNulty about himself because he's not doing it even in an angry way. He's telling them, he's saying, yo, I'm telling you, this isn't going to be enough for you. Find something else. And that's also a huge fathers away for later moment that happens in that scene as well. Uh, and, and Lester, of course, as he's prone to do, drops a bar when he was like... A life, Jimmy. You know what that is? It's the shit that happens while you're waiting for moments that never come. And I was like, Word. woo! I was like, that's mm. a bar, Lester. That yeah. is a bar. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, I but it's funny. I'm glad you pointed that out. Like Jimmy has constantly gotten gotten these warnings. It's that it's like he's what he's driving. He's he's driven by self interest in the sense he wants to be right. But it's not just enough for him to be right. He wants everybody to know that he is right. And and so when Lester is like, "What do you expect to happen? Like, do you think you're gonna get a parade? Do you think, like mm -hmm. what 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 is the end result? Like, what would be enough?" Yeah, Jimmy, you're right to actually make this worth it for you, to satisfy you, to fulfill you. And he's just like, that fulfillment that you're expecting this to give you is not going to happen. Because even if you take down Stringer, and we already know it's not going to happen because Daniel's already told him that when this is over and they put the cuffs on Stringer, your ass is out of here. So right. this moment of uh, of of him being applauded for his police work is not going to happen. And he's seen that before. That's why he wound up on a boat. And so it's just amazing to me sometimes how human beings, how we continue to do the same shit and we think it's going to be a different result. Right. And one other scene that I want to point out is a very important scene in the history of The Wire. This is the episode that the band broke up. The band broke up in this episode. And when I say a band, I mean the group. And when I say a group, I mean the duo. When I say a duo, I mean Herc and Carver. Yes. Outcast broke up. If we had, like, the budget, we would do, like, a little, you know, you know how they do in those, in the last episodes of, like, uh, of like television shows where one character has to leave and go to college and one character stand behind to work with their dad and the, it's the series finale and they go back and show all the slow motion replays of things that happen. Like, this is where it would be a slow motion pull up of Herc in the, in the, in the, uh, in the sunglasses singing along the shaft or whatever and then they laugh together and then we we do we slow motion pan to the shit rolls downhill conversation and all of that because Hurricane and Carver are over. It's yeah. done. One of our strongest couples on the wire. One of our strongest couples on the wire are done. When the murder happens inside of Amsterdam and Herc makes the decision to break from Carve and Which not he never has done. Never has done, even after Carve taps his shoulders to tell him that, uh, you know, I have the stripes. Their relationship is finished. They go in com two completely diverging patterns. What we do, what we see there is Carve falling more into the fold of the police officer system, the police force, the police department, and hurt for the first time saying, I'm not with this. There's something I believe that runs at cross purposes to this, so I'm not going to be able to do it. So, even if they go on, they go further, this is, in most ways, in any real way, the end of Herc and Carver in this episode. Wow. I'm glad you brought up this theme about the breakups, because if you think about it, and that's why I said, when you, when you look at season three through the vein of if this were the last season of The Wire, uh, so much of it, you know, it, it makes even more sense and why you're seeing a lot of divorces in this because you're seeing people, uh, relationships where one person evolves and the other person doesn't mm -hmm. and what the cost of that is. Um, McNulty is doing some soul searching uh, because here's the thing, usually the job has been enough for McNulty. It's like usually one of the two things. It's like if the if the job is going great and his personal life is shitty, he can handle it. If his personal life is shitty and the job is shitty, it's like 
it, you're going to get right. the most self-destructive part of McNulty you've ever seen. He is breaking up with the police force, or rather the police force is actually breaking up with him mm-hmm. and he doesn't even know it, right? right. You have Herc and Carver. Um, you also have Stringer and Avon, of course, or the Barksdale breakdown period um, and seeing what's happened with the people that were always on the same page. You're suddenly seeing that there has been a rift there. Like some, Brianna, Stringer, and I was Avon. just getting to that scene. What are you trying to say? If something happened... The fuck are you even thinking? That I had something to do with it? I could do that to my own kin? Is that what you fucking think? The fuckers in your head? I ain't do nothing to D. I ain't had shit to do with it. To do with what? To do with what? Whatever happened. That scene is so uncomfortable, and uncomfortable, I mean good, because Avon is, you you see him brooding. He's upset and he's pissed because he's covering for somebody he doesn't particularly like anymore, and mm. that's Stringer. And that's why he is looking at him, and he's in this, uh, his body language, he's closed off. You know, him and Brianna have a very warm relationship despite mm-hmm. the business yeah. that they're in. And in that moment, you could tell that it is killing him that he has got to lie for somebody that does not deserve to be lied for. Like he, he, you know, him and Stringer, I think by all intents and purposes, have broken up. They're really just in a jive-ass public relationship, to borrow a phrase from the best man. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, it's like they're they're the couple. They're basically uh, Daniels Marla, and yeah, I'm yep, about to say they're, they're, they're Daniels and Marla. And, yeah. They're just putting on a front. Like mm-hmm. they, their relationship is completely broken, right? And so for Brianna, and as she's sitting there looking at both of them, she knows in her spirit that one, if not both of them, has something to do with D'Angelo's death, and that's just like. A really, really great scene. Uh, by the way, I think what Avon did in that scene, real quick, I think mm-hmm. that was a confession. I do too. I'm with. Oh, yeah. That's the closest uh, he kind of uh, comes to yeah, it. Yeah, I think that was a confession. I think it's like, look, I didn't have nothing to do with it. It right. was that. It You're, was that nigga. It, it was this like, motherfucker. Like, 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 you know what I'm right, saying? He's like, basically like right. point that right. trigger. Right. Oh, totally. I, just, I, I had nothing I had to do nothing with it. You know, it. I, uh, but this house, exactly. other people in the room, I can't really speak for. Right. Like, I know what I was doing. It wasn't that. You know? So, no, you're right. That's, like, the closest he comes to telling her exactly what happened. Um, Despite, like, all these, you know, that that's a great scene. And and the press thing was, like, kind of the overwhelming scene. But I have to say, my favorite is every scene built around Omar's grandma getting her crown shot off. I love it, yeah. Slip Charles, when he is breaking... (laughs) <laughs> with uh, Dumb and Dumber when he is trying to tell him. Oh, the Herc, you mean the Herc and Carver of the Barstool yes, organization? Yes, the, the Herc and Carver You're of the Barstool You're talking about Gerard, Gerard and Lil Moron, as I and call Lil them? Mor- uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, when he call her a good colored lady? Colored lady. And your <laughs> mama's obviously what that. <laughs> I'm like, do you know? Do you know how deep it has to be for he like she ain't a Negro, she ain't an African American, she ain't black, she's yeah. something above that. Good she's colored a good lady. Colored lady. Do you right. understand what that means? <laughs> Y'all just sat up there and tried to kill a church mama? Like, right. really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even when, even when Avon is getting that stringer and he just like, man. The uh, this is one of the the beauties of this show is that they always have episodes like this where they get consumed with a detail that on the face of it you're like damn why would a guy in a drug organization be concerned with shooting somebody on a Sunday and for church mm-hmm. he like yo you killing my reputation he's like it's rules yeah. to this shit like yeah. <laughs> like people gonna think I'm a just a flat out heathen if I'm out here shooting at people's grandma right. <laughs> and he talking about something they saying I shot his grandma in the ass <laughs> like yeah yeah and that's the difference between streaking Avon string yep. is cold, calculating, business bottom line only. Avon, there's a sinister warmth to him to where he wanted, like, he'll kill a security guard that's about to snitch, but he wouldn't shoot no color ladies now. Not no good color ladies. Not, Not on no a Sunday. Good color ladies. Not, Not on, a, on Sunday. a Sunday. Like, that's mm-hmm. just, that's too much. Now you've crossed the line. But it also shows the disconnect that Stringer has with the streets because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, based off how they they set up the context of this, everybody knows you Everyone. don't do this. Everyone, yes. So how is it that he doesn't know that you're not supposed to go with somebody on a Sunday? He's like, well, they didn't even mention it was like somebody's grandma. He's like, that's not the point. Sunday's mm-hmm. supposed to be the off day. 
(laughs) And he does not realize this, which, again, only continues this idea that Stringer um, is not someone who's completely suited, you know, for the street life. Um, We pointed out the the McNulty date. Um, You know, the the one thing I loved about how that whole thing ended is, you know, this is what made this so obvious is like, it, it wasn't like they hadn't had um, you know, biblical relations before this date. They, clearly, right. that was what it was. Um, and yet, it is with her being like, thank you for walking me to my door, but mm-hmm. I love the shot of McNulty being there and the view of the Capitals right behind him. And he's sort mm-hmm. of looking at it like, I don't even know what the fuck goes on in there. Like, right. what yep. if, yeah, like he is... He's on he another re- planet. Yeah, he's on a completely other planet. Like, wow, like I'm right here in the middle of where policy is made and mm-hmm. I'm not even familiar with a world that's right underneath my nose. But he also said something that was very true when, when he was talking about why he didn't vote for, for president. It must be hard for him. He goes, listen, for me, neither one of these guys has a fucking clue what's going on. Right. Like neither one of those guys knows anything about what I go through. When you see it at my level, you see like, that's why people like that tend to be apathetic in politics. Like, when you see it from my level, you see that there's nothing that either one of those guys do could, that could do to actually change the lives of people that live uh, through this hell that I'm policing. Um, yeah, so the, it it just, it, well, and then it, it very much speaks to, you know, um, how people feel so disconnected from the political system. Is right. that, yeah, you, you feel like what you're doing doesn't matter to the people who have been put into leadership. Now let's move on to what age the best. Number one on my list is something we briefly alluded to, which is men talking themselves out of pussy. Yes. Just, it ages quite well. But I would also put with that, turning a hoe into a housewife. McNulty. (laughs) McNulty, you know, like he has a certain function. He is not built really for relationships or he is up to a certain point, I should say. And he, the moment that he proposed, they see themselves in daytime hours mm-hmm. and that they actually go out on a real date, uh, you know, because as he put it, uh, you know, uh, it makes a girl like him, you know, feel good about themselves. The mm-hmm. moment he tried to change the relationship and I, I, I could, again, we could do a whole podcast. I, I made that mistake before as well. So when I saw this, I I couldn't help but think about somebody in particular. I was like, ooh, big mistake. Huge right. mistake trying to change the dynamic of a relationship that's already been set. Look, mm-hmm. you are after 12 before 6, McNulty. Mm-hmm. The moment that you tried to see this woman in the daylight hours is when all hell broke loose. But it brought up an interesting question in there because you could tell the moment that there was no WAP to be had is when he admitted the voting. When and he she was looked a, like she, she looked, looked at him like what? You didn't vote? Now every guy's been through that some different way. Like you've said something to where you 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 was like, God damn, I knew I shouldn't have said that. I was just Chris <laughs> Rock myself. Uh, and that's exactly what McNulty did. Exactly what he did. Oh, by the way, my father disagrees with you about the 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 hoe into a housewife thing. He doesn't agree with you. Okay. My dad says that you can't turn. <laughs> Excuse me. And remember, my father's old, guys. My father says... <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> my father says you can't turn somebody else's hoe into a housewife. Oh, right, right. So ba- basically, he said, mm. if somebody is your hoe... Then you can turn the them. Be- they make the best housewives. <laughs> That's what my you know dad... What? <laughs> That actually makes a lot more sense. You're right. You, 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 <laughs> he's, saying, he's right. Like he's saying, if it's yo, he goes, if it's yo, he's sitting there. My father has these insane, insane bouts of wisdom. He's like, if it's your hoe, then it probably makes the best housewife. You know what I mean? So that was that was good. That age, that age quite well is like, oh man, sometimes you could just be quiet. But it, it, it made me think of a question I'll post to you real quick. Sure. Mm-hmm. Is somebody not voting a deal breaker for you? No, not at all. No. Mm. It's a deal breaker for them trying to like argue politics and shit with me. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's not a deal. Like if you look, it's like <laughs> you can't argue the NBA, the NBA with me if you don't watch the league, right? You like if you don't if you if you're not participatory in in something, you can't really argue with me. If you're outside, we can have arguments about political theory, but I don't want to talk about the future of America with you if you're not participating in it. Look, I understand why people 
don't want to do it. But if you're not going to participate in the future of America, if you're not going to participate in the future of your community, if you're not going to be participatory in what I believe is a huge, huge part of changing your community, which is controlling the political structures that exist there, I don't really want to have those conversations with you because to me, it seems like fake shit. Now, if you tell me you don't want to vote for the executive, the top executive, but you vote in your state and local elections, hey, cool. Then that's different. Okay. I'm sitting it out. Like you, you, you mute your voice, then don't talk to me. Talk to somebody else who you can be silent with. That's all. But but nah, it's not a deal breaker. You know, it's like we won't talk about certain things. <laughs> I was trying to, as I was watching that, think of like the most innocuous thing a dude has ever said to me that I was like, I'm never having sex with this guy. <laughs> mm. I was trying to think of what that might be. I'll think about it. And maybe by the time this episode is but up, understand, but, uh, but understand, though, also understand that we're men. And you could literally be like, oh, my sorority sisters. Like, uh, let, let's say I'm on a, you know, I was on a date uh, back in the day, on a date with like, let's say, 04, when I was still out there, when I wasn't all booed up. And, uh, you know, I'm on a date with like Beyonce, you know? And she's like a Delta or something like that. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, uh, there's a thing. Um, and I don't like some of my sorority sisters, so I killed them. And I'm like, I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I killed, I killed some of my sorority sisters. Like, I'm like, oh, you killed them? We're like, how'd you do it? Like, I killed them with a knife. I like cut their throats and watched them bleed out. And I just kind of sat there and played around in the blood. They're still actually decomposing uh, in my attic right now actually in the attic of the sorority house, like, because I killed the, the everyone else as well to cover my tracks. And if, if it's Beyonce and I'm sitting there, I'm 24, I'm like, oh, shit. Damn, girl, that's crazy. So what you want to do after this? <laughs> Man, you guys are built so much differently. Just, like, that yeah. shit just don't even bother you. Yeah, so, like, what you what you trying to do? Shit, you want to be, I, I'll help you cut them. We can cut them hoes up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, it's a lot different. If you just if you made it up in your mind, is not it's it's not. There's very few things that she could say. You know what I mean? Especially at that age. Now it would probably be different, but especially there's not a lot of things that she could say. Now you would just be like, all right, if it's more than three bodies, I don't know, three or less, maybe we're good. <laughs> all right. Well, now you know she's now it's different, but you know then it's, it's different when you were out there in that in that world. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you you know uh, how how women are. Like we we can be extraordinarily picky about those things, and mm-hmm. I've definitely had homegirls of mine who've been like. I didn't like the way he chewed his food. I don't know if this is going to work. Like, he chews with his mouth open. And I just can't, mm, I can't deal with that. And see, much to that, uh, you know, along those same lines, I don't think I could, I don't think I could be with somebody who didn't vote. Mm. I gotta be honest. Like, I think that would be a deal breaker for me. They could be, you know, Idris Elba. And he's like, ah, I don't really fuck with voting. I'd be like, Ooh, so here's an uncomfortable conversation that is about to happen. Mm, interesting, yeah. I see it. I get it. Yeah, not, uh, well, i put it like this, not for like a relationship. Now, if they were one of those things where I felt like they were open to it, maybe I was like, oh, maybe I could convince them. But that would be, that would be hard to overcome, mm. you know? So it's certain people who have certain stances about certain things that it just, it would be really, really difficult. Anyway, mm. um, anything more for you that aged the best? Unfortunately... Cops shooting black guys age pretty well. Oh, I, didn't want, I know. I didn't want to go there. Just, it did. Just, just a, a little damper. Mm. But we still we still haven't figured that problem out. But I guarantee you guys we will. We are going to figure it out. But I'm uh, glad you're hopeful, man. That makes more like, sense. <laughs> like when uh when I saw that scene, it just it was it was it was tough to watch given where we are right now. But yeah, cops shooting black guys age pretty well. Uh what age the worst? Uh for me, it was one thing that really stood out. And I hate to say it aged the worst because that implies it was a thing. Mm-hmm. What kind of terrorist eats a fortune cookie first? Mm-hmm. Prez ate that fortune cookie. You know what? And that's probably why he wound up in the situation that he did. Why he wound up, yeah. He, yeah, right? he's not supposed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I literally know no one, no one who eats the fortune cookie first. I can't eat the fortune cookies anymore. I just can't Just in eat general? Them. Yeah, I just don't fuck with them. Yeah, I don't eat them anymore. It, it, it feels weird. I don't know. Something weird about it. I don't know. Like, doesn't when I was a kid, I used to love them. Just like, <laughs> fortune cookie. But like now, I can't eat them anymore. Don't mm. eat them. Give them away. 
We move mm. away to different fortune cookie bandits around the city. Uh, no, but I've definitely never eaten one before because if you get the fortune cookie and you eat it, that's going to throw off the rest of your whole meal. So I feel like me. it's like the fortune cookie is supposed to be the punctuation mark on a yeah, good meal. Yeah. Uh, where, uh, what aged the worst for me is wearing leather jackets to dinner, which McNulty oh, yeah. does. That was a thing in the 2000s when they had Wilson's Leather for Men. And you said, or leather for people. I guess maybe it was just Wilson's leather, period. No, I think it's Wilson's leather because I had a couple of those jackets. You could, by the way, you could put a, a Wilson's leather jacket um, on layaway for like 75 years and be paying $2 a week. Van Lathan sidebar, quick one, quick one, super quick. One, two of my friends almost broke up over a jacket in Wilson's leather. <laughs> I'll tell you, let me tell you how fucked up the crew was back in the day. This is a true story, by the way. This is a true story. So one of my homeboys... Uh, his girl, there was this dope ass jacket because you have to put these jackets on layaway, right? Like you can go in there, you like you just said, you could pay on the jacket for Wilson's. But remember, once you had one, you only needed one, maybe two, because when you wore that bitch on campus, you were the coldest. Don't get mm. it wrong, you were the coldest. You were the coldest when you had your Wilson's other jacket. All right, real quick, one of my homeboys, his girl worked at the Wilson's. All right. And he bought a specific jacket. And it wasn't just a regular black leather jacket. It was some kind of tan and black, different design. It was really cold. I couldn't wear stuff like that uh, at that time because I was 370 pounds and I would look like a cow if I had that big-ass jacket on. Um, so he had the jacket, right? And uh, he bought it. And then one of my other homeboys wanted to buy the same jacket. That was a no-no in this crew. Everybody uh -oh. else in my crew was a fashionista, except for me. That was a no-no in the crew. You, he didn't want to let him borrow the jacket, and he didn't. He, he didn't want to. He 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 didn't want to. Uh, didn't want him to buy it. So uh, he was gonna go buy the jacket. He needed though in order to afford the jacket. My homeboy's girlfriend's discount. Girl, he needed her discount to buy the jacket, and so. My boy told him, no, man, tell him no. Tell him no, he can't have a discount. So she said no. And then the other friend went to her behind his back and went, yo, you letting this nigga control you? How you letting him control you, man? You letting you, what, you do whatever he say he do, man? This is me. This is the homie. It's your friend. Like, let me buy the jacket. That, the fact that he went behind his back to his girl caused the biggest rift in our crew, ever. It was a, a glorious time. I would get one dude calling me like, bro, that's basically like he's trying to fuck my girl. The other dude would be calling me like, dog, he is really making a bit too big a deal. I'm just trying to... And we had to have like a mediation over these two guys. The, the, the co-op had to come together. <laughs> the co-op had to come together over these two guys fighting over a jacket out of Wilson's, which is glad that these leather jackets kind of went out of style, like McNulty's leather jacket, because all they do is draw a rift, put a they rift. End, they end friendships. Drive a rift between friends. I never right. forget that happens. That still gets brought up to this day. How he went behind uh, his back to go talk to his girl about that's a true story about the leather jacket. Wow, that is uh, that is a stunning Van Lathan sidebar, but a very stunning. very good one. Yes. Um, Anything else aged the worst to you? Uh, no, not really. I couldn't okay. find very much. It was a good episode, a very tight episode, well acted episode, one of the one of the best acted episodes in the in the history of the show. I think. Yeah, it was, it was very good. All right, uh, I think it goes without saying what the Stringer Bell fuckboy moment was. Of course, him out there putting hits on old ladies, on good colored ladies, because <laughs> he has no morals, no principles, and he's just an asshole. That is mm. <laughs> that Stringer Bell for you. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And on top of that, him constantly being in Brianna's face, lying to her when he killed her fucking son because he's that dude. It's all in the game, baby. All in the game, asshole. Um, all right, file this away for later. Some good moments here. Um, this was one I hadn't really peeped before in my previous times watching this episode and, and watching The Wire was when Santangelo ran into Kim uh, McNulty in the Western District. And he's oh. talking to McNulty about how good life is there in the Western. He's mm -hmm. like, yo, I sleep better because I don't have to deal with homicide. I don't have to deal with the bullshit. I drive this van. This is what I do. I was like, oh, all right. Mm -hmm. Very good. File that away for later. You have some? I had that one written down. And 
the Lester Freeman we know to conversation is such a father's away for later oh, that huge. at the end of the scene, the camera pans over to Beatty's picture on the on the refrigerator. What? Oh, oh watch it again. Did they, not they, catch they, that. Like at the end of the scene, when he's telling him you need more out of life. The camera pans over to the refrigerator, and there's a picture of Beatty's, uh, of B, of Beatty Russell on the refrigerator, and it stays there for a split second. Def it Ooh, definitely does. Way to telegraph yep. that pass. Yeah, that was one. That was a little <laughs> heavy-handed by the guys. Yeah, I also thought too when Tony Gray was talking about being the education reformer. That was a file away, file this away, um, for later moment, because um, he talked about how he wants to center his platform around. Uh, education, which we know will be an integral part of The Wire. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So those are our five this away for laters. Trivia. So uh, the wonderful Robert Wisdom, who plays Bunny Colvin, by the way, didn't know his first uh, name was Howard. Yeah, I saw that on his name thing. Yeah, I was like, oh. Howard Colvin. Yeah. Howard Colvin. That was his name. Had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, prefer Bunny, though. Uh, it's it's just a cutesy nickname for somebody who is not also always so cutesy in terms of the truth that they deliver. So apparently Robert Wisdom he, when they called him about playing this role, he almost turned it down because he was pissed because the role that he went for was Stringer Bell. That's the role he wanted. He didn't oh. want to play Buddy Colvin. Can you oh, imagine wow. Robert Wisdom as no. Stringer Bell? No. No, 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 Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, they had the wisdom to cast you in the right role, you're not Stringer, man. Stringer has got to be exactly... I mean, what were they doing? They were doing, like... He doesn't even have the Stringer... Shout out to Robert Wilson. That's all I'm going to say. Fantastic actor. Well, I mean, it's hard, though. This is... When I always read about... And, and there's a ton of them. Like, a lot of the, the people in The Wire... They, a lot of them went after other roles in The Wire like that you couldn't imagine. Like, wow, they like Daniels was another one. I think it was either Avon or Stringer that he was being considered for. And you look at him, you're like, I can't even see it. But I think that's a testament to how well the characters we know, how well they played those roles. Like, you can't imagine anyone else playing Stringer because Idris Elba's so good at it. Mm -hmm. um, and I just was thinking about this from a, a look standpoint, is that my assumption is that they always wanted... Avon and Stringer to be on the younger side. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah so, so if they were on the younger side, like... you can't have Robert Wisdom out there. Exactly. And so now granted, and you know, as we see from Deacon, the real Avon Barksdale um, in, in this series, uh, he's a little bit older, so maybe, but I think they kind of needed to be younger dudes in order for Was this... he older though when, when he was, was in on the, the game? Street. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Because yeah. he was out of prison. So right. Uh, who knows? Um, so anyway, that's your little bit of trivia. All right, finally, man, moment of truth. Who won this episode? Easy one for me, Press. Mm, even despite the fact that his police career is at an end, you still think he won? Yeah, because he won. Because he doesn't even understand, and this is kind of what he's about to gain from not being on the police force. His life is about to have meaning. This is the pivotal moment of Press's life. And, you know, we see this in different different uh, episodes of the show, but for him specifically, this is the most important moment of his life, even in the tragedy. Everything's about to change for him. Uh, I think Carver won this episode because, the, you know, him and Hurt, well, one, he's breaking up with a toxic partner, which is Hurt. Um, two, uh, he also, there's a strong evolution happening in him. And uh, Colvin is able to reach Carver in ways that Daniels wasn't. Uh, and I granted, uh, Carver was on some different shit when he was with Daniels. I think he was so hung up on being underappreciated and underused um, that he couldn't even see his flaws. And he didn't understand um, that the type of police officer that he thought he wanted to be is not exactly the one that makes a change, that makes any difference. And so what you're seeing in Carver as he's getting more involved with the young hoppers in Hamsterdam, because I don't think he's just keeping Hamsterdam going because he has allegiance to Colvin. I think he generally believes in believes the idea. In yeah, he I believes agree. in it. And this is not the evolution you would expect somebody who prides themselves on knocking heads and, um, you know, being and physically exerting themselves mm. or, or physically enacting change that way. You wouldn't expect him to come to that, collusion, uh, that conclusion, but he's starting to see that maybe the way that he's thought of policing is not the best way to actually police. That you've got to develop connection. 
in mm-hmm. order to actually have a chance at having some form of public safety. So I think he's the big winner, you know, in this because he is willing to commit to a different philosophy, which is hard when it's so ingrained in you as much as it appears to be ingrained in him. Like Herc is incapable of being anything but Herc. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's interesting because as much dirt as these two have done together, the fact that Herc would draw the line and like, I'm not moving a body. I'm like, motherfucker, you've been stealing money for God knows how long. Nah. And, but but moving a body, that's just somehow, but, <laughs> yeah. that's just beneath your principles. But look, it's everybody just like, has a limit, though. Yeah. 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 Everyone does, I guess. But he is about to or he does or is in, in one of the short on the short list of characters that undergoes a Presbelewski type evolution like he he undergoes a serious transformation uh anyway that's gonna do it for us five people uh thanks for checking us out and for the continued support uh we'll be back with episode 10 of the wire only like what two three episodes left mm-hmm. like we getting down to the to the wire haha <laughs> pun intended Bye. that's why they, they paid me the big bucks uh anyway uh keep listening to us and keep watching the wire we'll see you again next time <laughs>